0: Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, your regular dose of 20 minutes or so of our thoughts covering issues we think are of concern and of interest in the hotel and accommodation space. Uh, And uh, my name is Chris Bowen, I'm the editor of Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined on the podcast by Andrew Sangster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And we're starting this week by returning to, um, well, it's a regular topic, Um, it's the whole business of what's going on with brands in the hotel sector and um, once again we find ourselves in the place where there are more being launched uh, and let's just have a look at the new ones first before we discuss the wisdom or otherwise of evermore brands. Uh, so what we've got coming up is uh, a, a, a new lifestyle hotel brand called well I think I'm going to call it Miro, M I R O. Um which is being launched actually by uh, an Indian company Interglobe um, who have uh, already got some hotels uh, in in Europe and they are choosing Europe to launch this new brand Miro Uh, they're going to start off in this summer with with openings in in Paris and Barcelona and they've got three more sites including London which they're going to be opening in the following two years. Uh, I'm not quite sure why now why europe but you know that's what they've decided is going to be they see the sweet spot for an opportunity to launch what they see as being a genuinely authentic lifestyle brand they've done some work um with their current portfolio in europe with uh Sycas hospitality the uh, fast-growing third-party manager um we've not been able to kind of get any details out of cycas as to what their their involvement is going to be in this new brand but um wouldn't be surprised if they're going to be involved in some way there's another brand kicking off in the nordics and um petter stordalen who's the owner of strawberry a very large group in of hotel owner manager uh, business in in the nordics he's he's uh teamed up with a an investment company called slato who are looking to launch a new brand they've not named what it is but they've just set out the fact that they are they're getting to market They've got their first site secured which they're going to be opening in uh, early 2025. Sounds to us a bit like it's a uh, a fairly kind of, uh, shall we say, efficient budget economy sort of brand uh, but something that's going to be coming new to market so it's going to be highly digitized. It's going to be looking at offering short and long term uh, options for people who want to stay in, in their properties so that uh they they, and they believe that there's there's a space in the market in the nordics despite the arrival of scandic go despite the rollout of sleep um they seem that think seem to think that there's there's a space in their market for that and of course uh, we've also had recently wyndham teaming up with um, sam nazarian and his sbe group um where they're they're going to be creating something which uh, is going to be a new smart lifestyle brand Uh, looking to kind of come in under the current level of pricing of the lifestyle groups and lifestyle brands and appealing to the upcoming Gen Z and Millennials who perhaps might not have so much money to spend right now but perhaps if you get them young uh, give it another decade or two and they'll be quite able to spend more lavishly on their lifestyle hotels so uh, all of this set against uh, a recent uh, paper published by uh cornell university which declares that frankly there's too many brands they're losing their resonance with consumers and uh this should be probably quite a shakeout before too long because too many of them are trying to be too many things to too many people and end up being not very meaningful to anybody
1: far be it from me to disagree with a professor at cornell but i'm <laughs> going to um I think we're going to um I don't th- I think the whole notion that there are too many brands is um, built upon something a, a complete misunderstanding of um, what brands are about and why we are um, seeing such a significant change in the hotel market with regard to brands. Um, it's sort of half right. Uh, I mean, he's half right when he Mm -hmm. says there are too many brands in the sense there's a lot of brands which are too weak and will get... Gobbled up by the bigger, stronger brand companies. Um, but we will not, I predict, see fewer brands. We will see more brands. Um, it's the smaller, and mid-sized chains that own nearly that uh, the owners of these weaker brands, and it, the, the strong brands are owned overwhelmingly by the global major chains. Um, so he, um, this professor talks about brand bloat, um, but it, it's completely wrong characterization i think of what we've got at the moment what we've got is something which really um, the hotel brand companies ought to have been doing for a long while and they're doing what they should do which is addressing specific consumer needs um, rather than being a badge um, for a particular company's offer in a particular chain scale segment and people are so wedded to this notion that oh we've got a budget brand in the budget hotels and we've got an economy brand in the economy well that's for that's gone that way of looking at the market um, is built on when the hotel companies were serving essentially b2b audience um, the business traveler audience and you know, it helped corporates to understand you know what the swim lanes were. If you know, if you were the the CEO, you'd go to the luxury offer, and if you were, I don't know, the a lowly clerk or something, you'd you'd end up in the economy offer. And this helped those corporates, you know, know where they had to check people into. Um, well, we've evolved quite a bit since then, and we've actually got proper consumer brands which. Should be meeting proper consumer needs, and I'm going to mention um, old Abraham Maslow again mm, and his okay. hierarchy of needs. And um, you know, we're at that peak of that uh, pinnacle of the pyramid, and self-actualization is what it's all about. And this is where we should be heading. Um, and I use as the example of the most successful company doing this. It's Europe's most valuable company, LVMH. It has a market cap of 423 billion euros um, and it's got over 75 brand houses and an almost uncountable number of brands. Now I'm going to quote LVMH um, from its blurb on some bit of its website and it says, Our maisons have carefully preserved and enhanced their tangible and intangible heritage by resolutely focusing on the quality of their products and services. Now, um, I should have done that in a French accent, but if you <laughs> that. Um, um, and th- this is exactly what the big brand companies um, are attempting to do, um, with a greater or lesser de- degree of success, and precisely what they should be doing. Now, this is not to say it has to be big brand companies that introduce successful new brands, but I'm going to say overwhelmingly, it is going to be them. Um, th- you can have you know small innovative um, offerings emerge from small innovative companies um, but they've got to be something truly special to compete they don't have the enormously powerful loyalty schemes of the global brand majors and they don't have that vast distribution reach of the, the global brand majors. So to make a meaningful brand in that context you've got to be pretty darn special. Um, we touched a bit on this in last week's Hotel Analyst Perspective when we talked about how successful small brands will be um, vertically integrated um, that is you know the will the, be the owner of the property they'll be running the property and they'll be branding the property um, that's the way to go I think if you're going to you know be so special and unique you've got to be fleet of foot and able to change and switch things around quickly enough to compete against the giants um, and you know one one thing I would note is that virgin hotels which you know virgin i would suggest is one of the most powerful brands out there but it still hasn't got beyond single digits in terms of properties in its core brand offer um You know, and it's actually now. Well, it was recently in court being sued by, or it was suing, actually, um, an owner of its San Francisco property. Um, You know, if you've got a brand as powerful as Virgin that can't actually make it, um, I'd suggest that shows just how tough it is against the global brand majors right now. So. The forecast, the Sankster forecast for the future, is we are going to see even more brands in the year years ahead, and I think this is a good thing for the industry, and it shows the industry is becoming much more mature um, in in how it approaches consumers.
0: Now it's time to talk about taxes, not those on your income statement, but those being used and wielded by popular tourist destinations around the world to help manage the sometimes overwhelming demand for for from visitors looking for uh that that uh, that photo moment with that particular landmark um or perhaps just to enjoy some time in your city um and uh in particular it seems that um you know tourist taxes were an issue before the pandemic it seems they're coming back with a vengeance those who have already were charging tourist tax for visitors look to be now doubling down on them and um and and substantially increasing them for the coming season and seasons ahead um, while plenty of others are looking to use tourist taxes as a way to either diminish demand or else just uh, increase an income from uh, those arriving to help spend on, uh, well, sometimes uh, services and support for the the whole tourism offer of a destination, but uh, I- increasingly some other options are coming to the fore. So in Europe, we've seen um, Amsterdam doubling down on their their daily charges. Uh, there's a big increase there. Paris has also pushed up its charges, and uh, uh, ironically for the for the Olympics this summer, they're going to be cashing in even further by uh, further. Uh, upping their their prices for their metro tickets uh venice which is uh, famously overrun by tourists at certain times of the year is, is charging an entrance fee Um, But um, one of the interesting sidesteps is that Barcelona, um, which has got a well-established tourism tax, is now going to divert some of that tourism tax to green uh, projects in and around the region and um, they're particularly looking to uh, initiate a project which will be spent on their local schools to reduce the carbon output of the buildings. So um, they're going to be putting heat pumps in, solar PV on the buildings, that sort of stuff. Um, So a very deliberate attempt to use tourism tax for supporting local infrastructure to greening local infrastructure. Um, In Asia uh, there's there's plenty of heavily uh, touristed destinations where charges are going to be applying either at the airport or overnight on accommodation in a bid to just help moderate demand or if demand is continuing to be strong find ways of using funds to deploy to help mitigate the effects of those uh, many feet of the tourists dragging their way through those famous destinations.
1: Tourists are the perfect source of tax revenue for politicians with a short-term outlook. And the quiz question, Chris, is are there any politicians that don't have a short-term outlook? (laughs) The answer, I suggest, is very yeah. few indeed. Um, thing is, tourists don't vote and any taxes impact on industry growth is not immediately apparent to workers employed in these tax businesses. Um, so from a short term politician's perspective, taxing tourism is essentially free money mm. with little to no short term repercussions. Um, But there are some good tourist taxes as well. Um, And this is when a tax is hypothecated for the benefit of the industry, such as using the funds to promote tourism. Unfortunately, you've just mentioned a bunch of things and I'm particularly fearful about the green taxes. you know, not because green taxes are a bad thing per se, but we're seeing widespread pushback against green initiatives and green taxation. And as we've just mentioned, you know taxing tourists is virtually cost-free from a politician perspective so i suspect we're going to see an awful lot of that dumped on the tourism sector and all of a sudden you know they'll be saying oh well we need to um fix the problems caused by tourism the the social damage it's doing the the climate damage it's doing in terms of the you know the um, air travel that it encourages and all this kind of stuff so i i can see us getting a right From the green lobby, actually, and I'm a bit nervous about that. Um, So you've got that. um, You've you've also got this this idea of over tourism which, um, you know, is interesting. I would suggest under-tourism is a bigger issue, especially if if you live in a place which doesn't have tourism, tourism's economic boost and job-creating potential. Um, You know, some places, a handful of places, yes, I would concede there is an issue in terms of the the volume of people coming, but this is simply, this just needs some um, sensible policies to deal with it. And, you know, I I would suggest, for example, you don't want to have a um, proportional tourism tax, a percentage of whatever the room rate is. What you should have is a flat tax, because the ideal people you want coming in are high spenders rather than backpackers. So charge everybody 10 euros if you're in Amsterdam and you really want to cut down on your tourism numbers. That will hardly deter the business travellers, but it will hopefully encourage the backpackers. to to go to somewhere which is a bit less crowded. And frankly, by the time they've found another Dutch cafe, they won't know whether they're in Amsterdam or not, (laughs) will they? So um, it won't matter. Um, The other big worry, and we we regularly talk about this um, in terms of when we sort of simultaneously slag off Airbnb and also come to its defense. Um, And this is this idea that, uh, um, you know, short term lets right now are getting a particular kicking in terms of the lack of affordable housing. Um, Really, which kicking um, short term lets isn't going to do anything about that um, in any meaningful sense. And it's about building more homes, I would suggest is the answer to that one. But uh, um, what we're going to see, I think, you know, once they've done kicking short term lets, they're going to come up, um, you know, swinging their boots towards general tourism. Um, and we're you know we're going to see it hitting hotels Um, and I I have a great deal of fear about that I just don't think our lobbyists are up to it we have extremely woeful lobbyists on the whole I mean you know there are honorable exceptions Um, you know the UK hospitality with Kate Nichols does a decent effort given the resources but you know she is not given sufficient resources to get the job done properly and we need to see the bigger companies in particular in our sector including the you know the OTA platforms stick your hands in your pockets and the big hotel companies the big investors in, in in hospitality stick your hands in your pockets and start paying for some decent lobbying to to happen um we need that um you know nobody likes a tourist um that's that is until they stop coming and you lose your job and you face higher taxes
0: now we're taking a look at what's going on in spain where um it seems that uh, you know in common with so many other places uh business for hotels has come roaring back uh not only that um if we hear what we've just heard from the spanish groups Melia and nh um they are not only not only did they have a great 2023 they are uh, pretty convinced they're gonna have a great 2024 because bookings uh, for at many levels on, across leisure across meetings and events are significantly ahead this year already of where they were last year so uh, great news all around. Um, uh, the, perhaps the, the biggest issue for the Spanish group Melia which has a, a very strong international footprint as well as its Spanish base is that uh, it still has a massive overhang of, of debt And that's something that it needs to sort out and it's doing some quite interesting deals to basically turn itself into a little bit more of an asset light hotel group Um, it has traditionally got itself involved in uh, building and developing uh, and owning properties and uh, whereas you know uh, hotel groups such as Merritt and Hilton uh, famously own next to no hotels mainly a bit more asset heavy um, and that probably accounts for some of the debt, but they've done some interesting deals in the last few weeks have been announced One in Spain with Banco Santander where they're going to be basically they've putted off a some hotel assets into a, a third-party vehicle which Santander has bought a large stake of. They're looking to bring in other co-investors in Mexico and the Dominican Republic, which will help uh, reduce their exposure to uh, the, these hotel assets and to the, the debts that they've pulled together to actually buy and develop in the past. So um, uh, they're looking to really uh, improve their, their debt position, their financial position, and turn themselves into a much more asset-like vehicle, all the while enjoying a, a significant upswing uh, as, as business comes roaring back in a slightly
1: contrary fashion i don't want to talk about spain's recovery um i want to talk about the recovery in thailand and the rest of asia now my link for that (laughs) of course is minor who is the uh, parent of nh hotels um And we just had the latest figures out from the UNWTO, the World Tourism Organization. Um, They show Spain was up 18.2% in 23 when compared to 22. Um, Thailand, the increase was a monster 181%. So (laughs) 10 times times more. Um, So um, it just shows how far it's gone. But if you look at 22, which is the most recent year for full year figures, um, Spain was just just 14.2% 14.2% down but Thailand was a massive 72.2% down on 2019 levels now what we can clearly see with the growth that we've had in 23 Spain is now ahead of 2019 but Thailand still has quite a way to go but the good news is it it's it's well on the way to get there so uh, I mean NH's parent minor said that uh, hotels in Thailand grew rev 15% in Q4 23. And RevPAR overall was up 23% on 2019, which is quite remarkable actually, given the fact that there were fewer foreign arrivals in 2023 than there were in than there was in uh, um, um, 2019. So, you know, despite sort of lower volume coming in, um, Miner has done, um, you know, delivered a you know pretty darn impressive performance. If you look globally at where we are post the pandemic lockdowns and and what happened globally, the first out was the Middle East um, and, you know, arrivals started exceeding 2019 levels um, early on in 2022. Now, we didn't really see this happening elsewhere, but in America, Europe and Africa, um, there were good recoveries in, in 2023. Pretty much right back to um, the same sort of levels, maybe marginally underneath 20, uh, 2019 but but not by much um, the outlier was asia pacific um, and the, you know the, they had half the number of arrivals at the start of twenty three and arrivals were still down roughly a quarter at the end of twenty twenty three But, you know, um, on the flip side of all of this, the recovery tower wins for Asia remain in full force.
0: Five star and no star awards of the week. And uh, five stars, I think, are you are awarding, Andrew, to uh, the Delato group. Not just just for their great results.
1: No, I mean, they're our fourth um, story in our a uh, perspective which subscribers can look at or you can register for free to to read up to three stories, three of the perspectives uh, a month. Um, but um, what Delata showed I thought really stood out uh, to me from their results was their um, accommodation efficiency project. Um, so we often talk about the lack of productivity in the sector, but uh, what Dilata have done, despite having similar business levels in 23 as they had in 22, they had a 10% decrease in hours worked. Um, and this means they've been able to keep their payroll steady despite putting pay up as much as 6.5%. So this this is real meaningful productivity increases which is leading to um, pay increases. Um, just as importantly, this is not just a case of cutting cutting things too hard and too fast. Um, employee engagement scores are up. Um, they're enjoying working more efficiently, and more effectively. Um, and guest experience scores are also better um, in 23 versus 22. So it's good news all round, I think, which is why it gets a very full five stars.
0: And I think no stars are going to the uh, the big uh, takeover merger deal of the day. Or of the last few months, indeed. Yeah, well, I think it, it looks it <laughs> looks doomed.
1: Um, Captain Mathering. Um, yeah. No. Look, we've just had Elizabeth Warren, uh, the high-profile U.S. senator, writing to the chair of the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S. Um, and to quote her press release, expressing serious concerns about Choice Hotels' attempted hostile takeover of Wyndham Hotels and Resorts, um, which would reduce competition and create the largest branded hotel chain in the country, driving up prices for consumers and harming entrepreneur franchisees. It's been got at. Um, I would <laughs> take. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I think she yeah. sees an opportunity here. I think she's completely wrong about driving up prices for consumers. Um, you can debate the impact on franchisees. I think there would be an impact on franchisees, but nowhere near as bad as, as is being suggested, I would suggest. So, um, you know, w- we think that Choice's uh, bid is, is not good, but for entirely different reasons. Um, but this, to me, I can't see a uh, way back for Choice from this
0: salutary note we'll say goodbye for now